The Matthew Green Podcast, reframing mental health with me, Matthew Green. What if the problems of the modern world aren't really about power, money, war or religion? What if they're rooted in our individual and collective experience of trauma? I'm on a mission to explore how a deeper understanding of trauma can not only help us to feel better, but point the way to solutions to the challenges threatening our very survival as a species. I've spent years experimenting with alternative approaches to mental health to help with my own periods of depression. And I launched the Matthew Green podcast to bring together the pioneering healers, visionaries, thinkers, and activists I encountered along the way. Through a unique and accessible series of global conversations, I hope this podcast will be a source of inspiration for anyone in search of a deeper understanding of themselves and a clearer view of what's really going on on the global stage. So Thomas, I'd love you to tell me a little bit about your new project on preventing collective trauma. What is the goal that, that you're setting out to achieve? Um, and how is that gonna be possible in this, this time when we're under such restriction? We're obviously not able to meet in person and everything is right. having to happen online. Right. Well, um, uh, first of all, it started already, I think, three, four years ago when um, my wife and I co-founded the Pocket Project, which is a nonprofit initiative to kind of illuminate the theme of collective trauma, like education, basically, and also integration processes of collective trauma, like large uh, wounds in our societies like the Holocaust, the Second World War, like dictatorships, natural catastrophes, like genocides. And so since I, I, I worked over the last 18 years a lot with this large, large collective trauma fields, um, and actually my book's going to be published this year about it. Um, so we, we, we established that and then shoot it my wife uh, who is also an international artist said Thomas I think now is the time we need to uh, create like a project specifically as an intervention for this time and I thought wow that's that's true and since um, since there are you know there are many very trained facilitators psychotherapists psychologists in in, in our bigger team in um, in the Academy of Inner Science, like my coursework, plus the Pocket Project uh, has some graduates of training programs, plus a Mobius, a, a, a large consulting network in Boston that is, uh, um, the CEO is a friend of mine too. And so we, we, we brought actually very senior and experienced facilitators, therapists, psychologists, uh, consultants together to form by now kind of a big team and we are we said okay in a time of a potential collective traumatization the collective trauma that is old that's resting in our subconscious in our collective subconscious is gonna be triggered and uh, and it's coming up as fears heightened stress 
feelings of isolation, numbness, overwhelm, all the things that actually make it harder for us to respond to the current situation that's happening right now, like the pandemic, to, to respond to that appropriately. And so collective trauma prevention means actually, instead of suppressing those feelings even more, because we often label them as uncomfortable, difficult, problematic, bad, that we learn to integrate them because that's actually the self-healing attempt of the collective unconscious. So and that, that was the foundational impulse. And by now we have the project up and running. And, um, and of course, we're going to refine it now as we go along. And, and so you have this, this team of facilitators. Are, are you essentially offering then online spaces where people can come together and essentially do inner work on themselves? That's correct. So what we developed like in whatever, over 18 years is a, is a kind of very refined process work that we use for all kinds of things, um, which is that every, like that we, the interdependence of the individual and the collective. We see now the global interdependence. Like we see how we all actually connected in this big web of global life. And um, even our conversation now is part of it. Like you're sitting very far away. I'm sitting here in Israel. And we, are, we have this uh, kind of collective um, possibility through technology. That's great. It makes us a global citizen immediately because so much as and you know best so much information is traveling so quickly and um so the the individual the the separate individual is actually a myth there isn't none of us is separate we are all part of a web of life and we might feel separate but that's very important we might feel alone when in fact nobody is ever alone because the life that is flowing through me and through you and through all of us us and to plants and animals and is life and so there is this our nervous systems are deeply connected you know we learn from plato and we learn from uh, heidegger and hegel and we learn from you know all the teachers that we had so it's not that all the ideas that we have are so genius and great you know we add maybe something through our life but we are based on a long, long um, chain of ancestral life that composes what we know today also. And so we use that principle of interdependence of an individual and a collective, because when many people, that's also what I often say is like, if you, the difference between a consumer and a participant, I, I can consume a movie, I can consume a podcast or whatever, I can consume democracy, or I'm a participant while I watch a movie. I'm a participant while I listen to a podcast. So I'm a creative particle that is participating and giving something back while I'm there. And so participation, always creates higher what we call higher coherence so that nervous systems go into a state of attunement and that's like a, a well-tuned instrument if you have a guitar or if you have a violin however good is the musician 
you always need to tune your instrument before you play because otherwise even if you play really good with a with a badly tuned instrument it's it's not going to sound good and so we are saying group spaces are if we add certain ingredients become amazing spaces like healing or integration spaces and there's a lot of collective presence and so i believe that that collective presence makes everybody in it kind of even more intelligent more uplifted more present and so when then one person in front of a group shares something i'm going through distress usually we don't share something we don't talk about alpha centauri like something that nobody has ever heard of you know something that's happening in a world that is uh, that we can't relate to most of the human issues are issues we all share we all know how loneliness feels we all know how pain feels we all know how happiness feels so if somebody shares something which looks like individual and often when we are triggered in our trauma we feel oh we are so isolated it's just me everybody else is happy but just me i'm going through this difficulty and then we see wow actually the collective network many people share what i go through right now too many people might have economic concerns many people might have health concerns or concerns for pe for people in their family or their friends and so what it means is that groups with the right facilitation become amazing resonance bodies like the guitar and the body of the guitar the string and the body and and so um so that's why and so we refined that process how like through individual processes we can induce collective growth and learning and how the collective learning provides a resource for the individual uh, development and if that's handled well then it's like listening to the symphony orchestra it's a very beautiful um, healing and growth space or learning space and you've been able to do that obviously in person in a lot of your work up to now your work has been mainly with groups of people in the same room but i'm wondering how easy it is to translate that principle that you've just described so eloquently into an, an online space maybe it's easier in some ways I, I'm, I'm curious to hear about how that how you're able to transpose that that process across into the virtual world right um it's just that the internet was a bit choppy now but i think i got your question um yes so we did that with large groups up to thousand people in 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 person spaces like in universities or group rooms and uh um actually since like i started when I started running online classes, I think it was 2012, so it's eight years now. So we, we developed like kind of a competence how to do process work via, the, via virtual spaces. And what is very important um, is, do you still hear me, Matthew? 
Yeah. Matthew? Yep. Yeah. Still here. Um, yeah. So what's very important is that the, the internet is a, is a tech space, of course. So it has a high tendency to kind of seduce us to become very mental because we're also not getting the same clues and like uh, body movements and uh, body posture and like many things. But actually, our nervous system has the capacity, if we train it and if we, you know, practice it a bit, that we often say that three elements are important for successful group work. This is self-contact and self-regulation, human relation, like improvement, improving human relation, because human relation is like data streaming. When I feel you right now with me here online, and I really feel you, we are streaming data online. And if our internet uh, data connection gets uh, weak, so then it's kind of a choppy relation. And that's what we are usually call, oh, I had a difficult moment with my husband, with my wife, with my child, with my colleague, with the situation, I don't know, that I saw in society. But actually it comes back to online data streaming, which is also presence. It's, that's what's really happening right now. And then often fears and trauma and absence and all kinds of the stuff of the past comes up that interferes with my now and reduces the data connection. So self-regulation that I have a good relation to myself and I can ground myself in myself, then that I have a, that I know how to create coherent relation with you or with another person. And then that I, am able to be a present participant in a team process, in a board meeting, or in a group space that deals with integration. So then I have an awareness of the whole group. And, and I call it like a warm or intimate internet that I believe that through our nervous system, we can actually ground the technological internet in our bodies and learn to relate pretty much the same to other people as we do it if, if the person was, uh, were in the room with me. And, and now, of course, that's a practice. And, and, and for some people, that might not be that easy. And maybe some people naturally prefer to have this kind of events in person. But what I'm saying is I'm pointing towards the possibility there's something we can learn. And I actually believe it's, it's a tremendous way to bridge thousands of miles in a world that is anyway ecologically, let's say, vulnerable at the moment. So that you can sit, I, I think you're somewhere in, in Britain right now, and that I'm sitting in the Middle East in Israel, and like there are thousands of miles in between us, but actually in, in, our, in our relational field and experience right now, we can come to a very close and precise relation between us so that we can literally feel each other well. And, and that creates a, a sense of closeness. 
And I believe that sense of closeness, of course, is important for like when we, you know, have Zoom calls with our loved ones or family members or our children or, but it's also in the professional context that just to have a moment of attunement makes every professional meeting much more stable, grounded, coherent, and also more resourced if we go through difficult or kind of, you know, uh, stuff where we are not, where we disagree. And we need to figure out what's our disagreement here and um, get, get to solutions. Coherent spaces, it's actually coherence in the nervous system. And it's, it's a way how we um, build a space between us that can host disagreement, that can host conflict, that can host beauty and uh, joy and fun. But the data connection is stronger than the experience and that's what i would call emotional maturity emotional maturity means that the cup the vessel the glass can hold the information that flows through it that's a, a mature state of of self and often when we are regressive then suddenly i might respond to or react uh, to something you say to me like in an offended way in a tight way and then i I re react like a five-year-old and my capacity is much smaller than my experience. Because as a child, that's true, but not when I'm 45 or 50. Then it's not true anymore. Then it's a regressive moment in my experience. And so that's why I think our experience is that um, we can create amazing online spaces that feel close, that feel safe, that feel warm, where you feel like, yes, you can open yourself and share. And we have groups where thousands of people are listening and we can feel together as if we are coming into the same kind of virtual living room. And, uh, and that's a, a very powerful moment. And I think we, we are still at the beginning also scientifically to research what that collective that we have seen in the past can also create a lot of damage because the same function synchronized as armies or violent gangs or so has uses the same principle basically but if you turn it around it becomes a blessing so it depends on our ethical alignment i guess as many things do I'm minded of, of different octaves almost. You can be using these this resonance at a low octave or at a high That's octave. But you, as you say, it's a similar mechanism or transmission that's happening. Um, and I, as you were talking, I was thinking of a group I co-host on Friday evenings, which we started at the beginning of the lockdowns, which I'd actually had in mind to, to create for some time, but I, I hadn't I sort of played with it, but I hadn't quite managed to get any real momentum, but with a captive audience of friends and colleagues, suddenly everyone wants to come. And, and as we've watched this progress over the past five weeks, you can feel the coherence now mm -hmm. happens almost effortlessly. Mm -hmm. Something is at work beyond our, our conscious uh, processing or our conscious control you can feel that there's a change that's blossomed. Yeah, even though 
even though the members have come and gone, some people have come every week, but others have come and gone. But the container that we're creating by showing up seems to endure. And it sounds like that reflects your experience quite closely. That's true. And it's, you, you put it in beautiful words. It's, um, first of all, I think in moments like you describe, we see that this separate individual is a myth. That when we come together, we feel the dimension. I call this the, the human cloud computing. So we might experience ourselves as a separate laptop or as a part of a supercomputer. And so our nervous systems are not that separate. You know, we, we learned, we actually wired the whole world in, into our nervous system. We learn, we call it learning, but it's, it's kind of creating an inner imprint of the outer reality. So they are deeply entangled or interwoven. And, and so when I, even now, so I see you, Matthew, but if we are very precise, it means that the Matthew that I see, my visual impression, or the Matthew that I feel, is a coated kind of information within my perception. It's not even that I see you really. I, I know what my perception tells me, but I don't know if that's who you are out there and vice versa. So my perception might be, you know, might be warped, might be changed by my past associations come in, past feelings, past traumatizations, people that I like that look like you or people that I dislike that look like you might inform how I respond to you. So once I know, wow, wait a moment, Everything I see, first of all, happens in me. And often in human relation, we become very certain that we know how other people are. Instead of, no, I know what I feel and see, but I don't know if that's you. But I can find out through resonance. Resonance is when I say something and I listen to how you respond to me, how you feel when I say things, if things land with you or they don't. So we are very very perceptive beings and that perception creates kind of a meta field it creates an information field that is our shared reality and that shared reality has a strong uh, power and i and i hear also in your description that's very similar how how we experience it too of course is that that the more we we are authentically engaged we want to participate it, you know, we have a mutual intention, we feel each other, we listen to each other more deeply. So all of those ingredients create a stronger meta field. And that meta field is a healing integration or learning resource for everyone within it. And that's, I think, super powerful. And, and I believe we didn't yet um, fully research how powerful that is i think we're at the beginning some of the neuroscientists start now to do you know more fmri testing and all kinds of testings of people relating to each other because it becomes more portable and doable and and i believe and that's my experience also coming back to the collective trauma that collective trauma needs to be taken care of by us as a collective 
You know, we as a collective body of responsibility, like responsibility, we are responsible, which means also we take care of what we as humanity produced in the past. And often there were high or like very strong ethical transgressions, like the Holocaust, for example, like a tremendous catastrophe that left a lot of pain unprocessed in the collective unconscious. And I think it's our job, even if we are the next generations, we are living within that trauma field. We all have been born into that trauma field. We don't even know how the world looks like without trauma because we only know it the way it is. But I think it's time that we say, okay, we can at least notice the parts of our social body, societies, democracies, and so on, that show severe symptoms and stop dealing with the symptoms on a symptoms level, but to take it one step deeper and say, okay, maybe those social symptoms are trauma symptoms that are unrecognized and it's not an economy issue. It's not a social science issue. Like it's a social science issue, but it's a trauma issue. We won't fix criminality rates, poverty, climate change, just on the level of its symptoms. We need to go somehow deeper into life and I think that's, uh, I believe, what the group experience you describe, I believe, is the way there that there are much bigger collective learning systems and we, we figure out the learning architecture, how, uh, how to induce collective learning in that way. There's so much to, to pick up there. And I loved what you were saying about the way resonance fields work and how we can consciously establish them and I was thinking imagine if in the media for example on t television or if anyone still watches television but <laughs> on in broadcasting in the in the media if we were to kind of acknowledge and consciously work with that the whole function and role of the media could be reimagined actually in quite a profound way um, mm -hmm. but, but before before we will, that's, I think that's going to be a conversation we're going to have another time again. But what, what, I, what I was curious to zone in on here is what you feel is happening in the collective. You, you, you've painted a very clear picture of how this collective process can work, how we can come into resonance and how that can have a healing influence. What do you see coming up right now? And, and, and what are the kind of risks and perhaps even opportunities that that implies yeah yeah it's the way i see it after also studying collective trauma a lot so let's see let's define for a moment just for this conversation what is trauma trauma is is the trauma is not the let's discern a bit it's not the experience we go through that is overwhelming it's what happens within our bodies and nervous systems and psyches as a response to an experience that is so strongly overwhelming that I can't process it in the moment that it happens. It can be a severe car accident. It can be a chronic or a very strong abuse, abusive moment. It can be like a violent moment, a natural catastrophe, a war, anything that is so tremendously overwhelming that and now an intelligent function kicks in 
that is stored in our bodies and nervous systems over hundreds of thousands of years, I believe we developed this over generations, that the nervous system can split off the part that is so overwhelmed. I often describe this as, imagine you have a big TV screen and then you see a crazy war scene. It's loud, it's noisy, and at one point somebody takes the remote control and mutes it. And then somebody takes the TV off the wall, throws it into the ocean, and then you still see the movie going on, but it's, it's sinking down and it's falling into, dropping into the ocean. And at one point in time, you don't see it anymore, but it's still going on. And that's how our subconscious looks like. There are many of those, TV, and the collective subconscious, there are many of those TV sets piled up with crazy scenes going on, but we, we are the subject or the collective subject is not aware of how much energy is stored in our collective subconscious. Then we ask ourselves, how come that somebody runs into a school and shoots around? How come that somebody does this terror attack? How come that there are so many psychosis uh, cases uh, showing up in certain areas? Or why there is so much alcoholism? Yeah, because a lot of it is informed because the, the fact that I am not aware of those, you know, piles of TVs doesn't mean that they don't have any effects. And I think we saw it in various times in history, what happens because that split shuts down and numbs or as Otto Schammer, the teacher at the MIT calls it absencing. I call it collective trauma numbness. So, or individual and collective trauma numbness, a part of my nervous system, is dark or a part of our collective nervous system is dark so that it's a downgrading of data transfer it's a it's a kind of a, a distortion and and so in my subjective experience i don't know anymore what i don't feel i don't know anymore what i don't see I just see symptoms of it and I call them problems in my life or difficulties. Difficult situations are actually signposts in my life, self-healing attempts to show me what I can't compute because that's the only way. It always comes through a difficult person at work, a difficult part of my partner, a difficult part, whatever, in society, in the political system. But it's me not being able to process that. So, and that we call this inner fragmentation in the nervous system. So there's a crack, like the window with a crack. And in the collective, it's the same. There are collective fragmentations and there the data doesn't flow well. So we often use past, like movies we stored already on our hard disk because we can't stream the movie that's happening right now or that's so interesting right now because I can't stream it if my internet connection is bad. So then I, I, I watch a movie that I've seen already. And like our psyche operates in a way the same. It's like I, I use habits and patterns of behavior or reactions that I learned in the past, but they didn't help me to solve that conflict until now. So they won't this time either. And, and then the... Um, when we bring this now to our time, it's important because if, let's say, somebody's body 
and that, let's call it for now our house where we live is hurt then at least maybe in the second floor I decided to live on the scaffolding around my house I built a tent there I put my sleeping bag there I made a, a kind of a small kitchen and this is a compensation structure if my habits and my compensation structures break down. I don't have many options left because I cannot go in. I become a homeless besides my own house. And what I'm saying is, is I think even if it's a bit uh, metaphorical, but it's when in society we have built through entertainment, for example, through consumerism, through addiction patterns, through many things, relational patterns that are unhealthy, lifestyles that are unhealthy, we have built a, a system of compensations and habits that, that are breaking away now, economic structures that are actually not sound. And once that breaks away, the trauma inside and its fragmentation has a much stronger force. And that's important because if economic security and maybe our the security of staying healthy, like a safety in, oh, I feel healthy, I get up and I feel uh, I'm kind of safe, even if no one is ever really safe, but inside I feel like this, um, that if that drops away on a collective level, the fragmentations, the collective trauma fragmentations come up and they come up in the, in the, in the way of overwhelming stress, overwhelming fear, constant anxieties. Uncertainty is something that for many people is very hard to take. Um, so we, we might feel either more numb or much more stressed. We're dealing with a lot of emotions. And then we say, we call it crisis, when in fact, the crisis is a lot, the additional movie on my hard disk that I kind of upload to my, onto my screen. It's not necessarily what's happening right now. It's very important because we as humanity, you know, we have such a resilience. We went through so many things already that of course it's challenging and of course it's it's very troublesome or gre like also sad that what's, what's happening in society, but it doesn't mean that as society we cannot find intelligent responses to that. But if all those past movies come up of wars and, and famines and all kinds of stuff that happened in the past or pandemics in the past, and suddenly we replay those in our experience, then the external experience is much, much more disturbing than it actually is. And so the question is, where does the actual crisis really happen? Does it happen? It's like when a traumatized person experiences a trigger very hard. So somebody who was shamed terribly by his teacher in the boarding school for many years, it's kind of an abuse. If that person comes to, like if the, the CEO of a company calls that person into the office and criticizes something that the person did, for a non-traumatized person, that's an experience. For a traumatized person that experienced toxic shame, 
it's a terrible experience. The person might not be able to sleep for a long time. The person might be very stressed. The person might not want to work there anymore. It's an unforgivable experience. And so the traumatized person and the healthy person will experience the same situation on very different volumes of, of internal stress. And, and I think it's important because we always say like there is a crisis, even the climate crisis, I think together, if we worked together as an orchestra as humanity, the climate crisis would have a big container as you said before. But if we are fragmented and if stress even fragments us even more because we all feel more isolated and be more afraid, then, and then holding, like, holding on to each other is not necessarily a sign of we intelligence. It's a tribal trauma response. And we did this over hundreds of thousands of years that we stick together as tribes when it's difficult. That's not necessarily a sign of an evolved collective intelligence responding to the actual fact that's happening right now and so that's why i think it's very important because what comes up now in us and this might be many many things that like they are individually very different but those added energies from the past this in this that's collective unconscious information that comes up in individuals is actually not a disturbance. It's an attempt of the self-healing mechanism of life to heal itself. But it, it might have severe side effects. And I think we saw in the past what happens if there is a recession, if there's a depression, if, if many people are unemployed, if the you know, the, the poverty is rising. There are many things that can lead to a very destabilized field. And then the fragmentation might get much stronger. Polarization gets much stronger. The, the way how we are compassionate, inclusive, supportive of each other might decrease. And more selfish tendencies might come up. So we, we have actually, the, I think, the responsibility to create higher coherent fields the same what you do in uh, with your group i think adds to coherence in the world it adds to coherence for the people that meet with you but not only that the cloud of uh, the the collective humanity needs more coherence building because that's what gives us the resource to deal with the fragmentation so I think that's a bit how I look at what's happening now in, in the society and what kind of pitfalls we have, but also what kind of resource, because the good news, that, that sounds a bit dark, what I said now, but the good news that every one of us carries the remedy because the remedy or two remedies, one is relation and one is presence. And we all have access to that. That's that. It doesn't. It's not dependent on any social economic situation. It's we can all improve our relations. We can all take care of our relational networks. And I'm not talking about Facebook, but people we care uh, about and people we work together with. And you know, as a citizen, I can I can practice that, and I can also practice presence. And these are the main ingredients, how to strengthen the resource.
I know, sorry, it was a long answer, but it's, uh, it's a very profound uh, <laughs> issue. <laughs> what you said um, about creating groups and creating these relational fields, almost like little ink spots, I suppose, that can start to spread and combine, I think is so, so profound and empowering. Um, and I, I remember when we spoke a few months ago, and I'm not going to ask you to repeat what you said, but the way you explain trauma, the trauma field, how we're, and we're almost born into broken glass, or we're looking at broken glass through broken glass, was so true for me. It was so profound. It, it, it brought me to tears. There was some, so much truth in that, that even somebody like me who's spent quite a lot of time studying trauma, particularly among soldiers and veterans, to hear it articulated like that was extremely moving. And I, I wonder whether one of the, the opportunities here, and if it's not, obviously we have to be careful about talking about opportunities in the middle of a tragedy, but even with that caveat in mind, even to begin to expand this conversation around trauma seems so important because this was all new to me until relatively recently. I hadn't looked at my own, I, I thought trauma was something that affected people who've been in war or abused as children or who, ha, who, have, who are almost people over there. I'm not, I don't have trauma, I, not me, I'm looking at people right. with trauma. <laughs> but I think something about the conversation we had last time really unlocked for me this point that we are all, we're all in this trauma field. And as we acknowledge that, and as we start to work through that, that opens up enormous possibilities to liberate energy and creativity and responses. Mm. So I, it, I again, I, I don't want to be glib here and say, oh, well, this pandemic is an amazing opportunity because that, that seems very, very wrong. But to kind of close, I wonder if you could throw it forward. What, what do you think... Where could we get to now if we approach this consciously and start to pick up some of the tools that you've been describing? Mm -hmm. Yes, I'm a, a big fan of uh, being deeply human. So I, I believe, as you said, it starts with um, us fully recognizing that for some people there is a lot of loss in the families, you know, relatives and uh, like might suffer from the pandemic right now. So there is real trauma happening for, for some people at least, or for many people. And and the, the overwhelm of our healthcare system, the overwhelm, like our economic situation, like there are many things that are potentially very traumatizing. And, and, and to be able to say it's difficult for me, you know, that we, that, or to be able to say, yes, I'm very sad, I'm very afraid, I'm very angry, I'm very ashamed, I'm very whatever, um, or I'm very numb, I'm really overwhelmed, I'm a citizen, I get so much information through the news, I get, I don't know what to do, you know, not everybody studied medicine, so for some people, the, the loads and the different opinions and is is very might be very overwhelming and also to see that the world changed in an unexpected way fundamentally and 
and also even not wanting to come back because maybe you know the world changed we are living in a different world so where are we now when we are coming here not go back and coming here might be very sobering or even scary so that i think the first step is like that we are all we are human beings and we are supposed to have feelings we are supposed to uh want to reach out we want to be with each other support each other you know need each other sometimes these are very human um qualities of us that i think are very important because they keep us grounded and then once we are able every one of us to see okay who am i as a human being what am i feeling what am i going through and i am aware of that so then the chances are lower that i will put my experience on you or you put yours on me but we we own it in ourselves and um so and then the next step is that it's a time where i believe also our our capacity to be supportive and mindful of each other you know that i see in my neighborhood my neighbor in the you know the next door apartment or whatever is needed in my closer it's not even about big projects first it's about how do i live what's needed and how can i contribute if i have the capacity to contribute and how can i ask if i need something right now and that that we that this kind of of shared community space is working well so that's the next step and i think the next step is that as we all know it's most likely at least that in the next decades that's not the only disruptive event that we are going to go through and it's it's for us like what does it mean to live in uncertainty what does it mean to live in times when things are not going the way we planned it what what happens if if it's really important how we are related to each other because relation is kind of the magnetism in the in the human social systems and what's the like how how to be in a time that is potentially disruptive that there are waves of disruption coming and and how do i find a good um way of reaching out and being supportive and creating an economy that is um balanced i think because if everybody creates an economy in the way we relate to each other that is balanced we have a balanced economy but because we are creating it as we are doing it it's not that there is an economy and then there is us it's like if you go to the shop and buy something money money is flowing if not not it's there is no economy and then there is us like we are the economy we are the house of humanity and it depends on how we architecture it that's how we live in it if we build a house that is like this that everybody needs to be living like that so we will have a lot of pain but if we create a house that is the house we want to live in as humanity and not just like one part of humanity wants to live in that house and the big part doesn't like we want to all live in that house so it's built out of all of us and it's built out of the actions of all of us and i think that that's pretty exciting that it shows us that what's needed now is to step beyond this polarization and blame game into a maturity that it's it's done with the system is like this yeah but 
where am I if I talk about the system? What does it mean that I'm part of the system that I'm talking about or unhappy with? And I'm, I'm most invited as a citizen of a democracy to, to do my best to improve it or to add something to it or to show something that's not working, but it doesn't make me be an outsider talking about the system. So like if an adolescent person speaks like that, then maybe it fits to the age. That's our age of rebellion and finding our own kind of autonomy. But if we as grown-ups still talk like that, something is not okay. It's a, it's a regressive behavior in, in many ways, the way we talk about politics, the way we talk about economy, the way we talk about systems and the healthcare system, it's not helpful. And I think the next step is a much more engaged and relation. There is no bad person out there. I have shares in everything that's not working well too, because I'm also a human being and I also have my habits. And so we are all shareholders of that collective unconscious that produces a lot of symptoms. And we are also shareholders of the resource of humanity. And so emotional human maturity or maturity, mental, emotional, physical maturity is, I think, the, the basis of a functional democracy. And, and the second step is in that mature state, I know that I'm always interdependent. I create systems through the way how I act in the world, how I work, how I create family, whatever, that I am also part of. So if I create a lot of toxicity, I will breathe it. And if I create a lot of health and sustainability, I will also breathe that. And so the world is not, there's no world and then there is me. That's the basic trauma symptom that we feel separate. There's the world and then it's me. And I'm living like on a game board. No, I'm not on the game board. I'm part of that game board. And if I move, the game board also moves. And if you move, it also moves. So the game board is changing with us and with our actions. And I think that's very exciting. That, And I think that's, that's also exciting because the... Like, if we want to kind of respond well as humanity in the next decades to climate change, that's our learning step. And the, the only other thing I think we need to know is that what reduces that capacity is our collective human trauma history. That because trauma doesn't want to move, doesn't want to change, it's, it's built to freeze and put hostages in space-time and, and, and not feel them anymore because it's too painful. Somebody who went in, a person that needed to go to a concentration camp, most probably couldn't experience the full experience he or she went through. So dissociation was a very important part for this person to survive, maybe. And, and, and so in all of us, many of us, going through childhood needed dissociation more or less in order to get through well or as good as possible and and so i believe we are living in a time where interdependence and maturity and a knowledge a trauma-informed society that we see relational symptoms 
political polarization, fake news, what happens on our social media platforms. There's so many shadow side effects that I believe often are not being traced back to where they really start. And we try to, to take care of the smoke without finding the fire. And the fire is somewhere deeper down in our collective psyche, often individual and collective psyche. And if we train it, I think we are all embarking through the very technology that we are using right now. We actually already embarked. I often call it, we went with a torchlight into a jungle where nobody ever went. The collective unconscious is not the jungle. Yeah, there are, there are pioneers like Carl Gustav Jung or others that try to go on their own, like as a kind of a, an elite of their time. They went in and looked a bit into the jungle, but we are way, we are far away from knowing what's actually in the jungle because we are all shareholders of the dark jungle. And so it's an exciting human experiment. And and I also believe, you know, some people, especially in Silicon Valley, <laughs> saying it like the, the planet's toast, let's get away, let's try to go to Mars. And, and, and yeah, but, you know, then we become a, a kind of a galactic virus because we will take <laughs> those tendencies with us. It's not that we are... We really resolved it. It made planet Earth a sustainable place. And then from there, we travel to other worlds. Then it's fantastic, but not as an escape mechanism, because then we take the whole tendency with us there. It's not going to help. Um, yeah, so that's a, a little bit where I see the, the maturation of humanity into that mature state um, and being able to create real functional democracies where really everybody's human rights are being respected, where we respect the collective human rights around the planet. I think that's really an exciting perspective. Um, I'm not saying that that's where we will end up, but I think that's our possibility as well. Thank you, Thomas. And I'd love to keep talking, <laughs> but I'm conscious of your time. And I hope that we'll be able oh, yeah. to go up and, and think about how to grow these mycelium networks that you've talked about, these, these islands of the future that are starting to crop up virtually in this time, could be the mm -hmm. seeds of something in the future, perhaps. Um, so just to, just to finish off finally, how can people get involved with your work? Yeah, I mean, thomasribble.com, my main website, but also the new project that we, that was the beginning, we mentioned at the beginning of our conversation is uh, uh, corona.pocketproject.org. And, um, and it's a free, like it's a donation. We brought together senior facilitators, like it's a global project that's already, of course, it's in English, it's in Spanish, it's in German. We will do something in Chinese and maybe other languages. Um, and and people can drop in. It's a it's a pro bono offering. Everybody, all of us, you know, offer our time pro bono, and we we really want to to create this uh, possibility to digest the the prior collective trauma content so that we are not bound to repeat it. And and I think of course it's just it's what we can do. But if I think if many or organizations do what they can do as a contribution. We all do a lot together. 
And um, so, yeah, everybody is invited. We have, it's a safe space. It's uh, everybody's experience is being respected. And uh, I think there are very lovely spaces to digest, to grow, to learn and to be together and also contribute something for others. You know, if 100 people listen to your sharing and really give you a space. And so that's a, a, a tremendous holding in a way. It's a very generous space. And if we create this for each other, so I often say we can take care of our life base, the basis of our life, like we can take care of that together, of what we, you know, all the fragmentations we talked about before, but we also have the power to deal with it. Um, so yeah, so that's, that's a bit, and we have an, a, an extra track for healthcare professionals. So everybody who is now in an overwhelming needs for an hour, like a space to decompress, to also share you know, all the experience, this heightened overwhelm uh, of also seeing many people suffering in a higher concentration um, and simply a loving space to just be for an hour. So, uh, so yeah, there's a healthcare track with smaller groups and then there are the public calls. Everybody is invited. Wonderful, wonderful, Thomas. Well, it's been great pleasure, privilege talking to you again. And I hope that we'll have another conversation about how the media <laughs> can start to support this we kind of work and, and to play our part as well in, in birthing this more mature version of ourselves that you've, you've mm. shown us, you've pointed to. So thank you. Thanks for listening. The Matthew Green Podcast was produced by me, Tarn Rogers-Johns for Emerge. Emerge is a media platform and movement exploring the emerging new narratives of our time. Visit us at www.whatisemerging.com.